Please join me in the prayer for illumination found in your bulletin. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and the word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. A lesson from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, throwing him into convulsions and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm going to invite any of our kiddos who want to come forward for our children's moment and join Pastor Carol, Pastor Amy, and I. There's more than enough room up here. Space. Grace, what's up? Nice. Very good. Come and sit with us. <laughs> Wonderful. We're glad you're here on this rainy day. We're thankful that you are worshiping with us. You got to see a glimpse of maybe you can join in that choir, the youth choir, and sing so beautifully. All right. So I am going to ask you all to maybe stretch your memory, okay? Can you remember? your first day of class this year. It's like way back in August, or maybe you switched schools, and it's January that you're in a new class. But can you remember your first day of class? Yeah, you can, Martha? It was in the fall. So what kind of stuff did you do on your first day of class? It was just a half day. We talked about this this morning. It was just a half day, both for the blessings of the students and the teachers. It was a half day. Because that first day of class, if we remember, that's a day where we get to know our teacher and we get to know our classmates. And our teacher shows us around the classroom. Is that what your teacher did, Martha? She showed you around the classroom. And they talk to you maybe about the schedule of what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. And then your teacher tells you sort of like what kindergarten's all about. Yeah. Penny, what's up? It's kind of like school, that's right. Your teacher tells you what school is going to look like and what you're going to experience. And today, y'all, is the first day of class for the disciples. They've just begun following Jesus, and they're seeing what Jesus is all about, and he's showing them what they're going to do. And the work that Jesus called them to, the work that Jesus is calling us to, is the work of healing and the work of renewal and the work of liberating. And I want you to hear with great clarity today that it doesn't matter how young you are, 
If you're in preschool or if you're in elementary school, Jesus has given you gifts to be a healer. And so maybe when you see a friend who's really sad, you can just be with them and ask, how can I help or can I just be with you? Or you see friends who are struggling to share in your class, maybe you can be the one who shares. Or on, uh, in March, when we celebrate Great Day of Service as a church, maybe that could be a time when you can join us in being a person of healing in our city. Does that sound great? Awesome. So the big thing about a first day of class, if you remember, is you're really tired after a first day of class. And so I pray that after Jesus teaches us what it means to be his disciples, that maybe you get an afternoon nap this afternoon. And parents would be excited too. All right, let us pray together. Good and gracious God, what a gift. What a gift that Jesus, who teaches with great authority and power, yet teaches with simplicity that we must become like children to hear and understand him. I pray, God, for these children that you have blessed with tremendous gifts. Might they be agents of healing and renewal and life in this world. All of this we ask by your grace and your spirit and through the prayers of Jesus. Amen. All right, y'all, I'm going to invite you, if you're three, four, or five, you can join Pastor Shannon and Pastor Maggie and go to Children's Church. Have fun. And I just want to commend our youth choir, how beautifully you have led us in worship. You've actually already preached the sermon. And so whatever I have to offer is just an amen and an alleluia to the way that you have already led us in worship. Thank you. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, I pray that your fresh voice would speak through me and that you would open up all of our lives to receive it, that truly we might grow into the likeness of Jesus and be agents of healing and renewal in this world. All this we ask by his name. Amen. So a new student or a new employee calls it different names, uh, names like syllabus day or class orientation or onboarding. Uh, Regardless of what you call it, if you're a student or an employee, it's kind of the same experience. If you're a student, it looks like your professor getting the syllabus out and reading through the syllabus line by line to set the course of what you should expect in the course and to sort of let you know the expectations, right? Uh, If you have never been in a job and you're a student, I just want you to know that your first day of a job is kind of similar. You typically meet with an HR representative or someone that's doing that work within an organization and they walk you through your job description and they tell you how to do payroll and you fill out a bunch of forms and you talk about the expectations of the work that you're going to do. And I don't think that I'm the only person that, whether it be a syllabus day in a university or a first day of work, often finds myself on those days sort of looking around the room and wondering, do I really want to subject myself to a season of this with these people? Like, with these people? Anybody else been there? It helps in our imagination to see this moment we heard read as a syllabus day or an onboarding for the disciples. And if we're to read the Gospels as a field manual for how we're to live the mission of God, there are onboarding too. This is our moment of Jesus laying out the syllabus of his course. 
We heard last week Pastor Carol preaching from John's gospel. We're going to stick mainly in Mark's gospel going forward, but we heard last week about the calling of the first four apostles and how immediate that moment was when they followed Jesus. There's even more immediacy in Mark's gospel. It's going to be sort of like a key word over the course of the gospel, immediately, immediately. And we learned that the immediacy of the disciples following Jesus is such that James and John leave their dad in the boat with hired hands. I can't help but hear that and remember that scene in Forrest Gump where Forrest Gump just jumps out of the shrimp boat and it crashes right into the docks. Mark is saying that the immediacy of James and John following Jesus was such that they left the family business in the hands of the wage workers to follow Jesus. And in their onboarding moment, it's not happening in a HR room or in a university classroom and lecture hall. It is happening in their hometown synagogue with the people who watched them grow up, who nurtured them in the faith, and who taught them the songs and liturgies of their faith. And it's happening not just with those who are familiar, it's happening also in the presence of a man who, if they were honest, I would imagine the disciples would say, we did everything in our power to avoid someone like him in a previous life, someone who is possessed by an unclean spirit. This is the disciples' first glimpse into their future with Jesus. And in this first glimpse, we witness Jesus laying out the syllabus for his course of healing, liberation, and it evokes amazement for those who witness it. Indeed, uh, the gospel writer says that awe and amazement were the reactions of the crowd, both to Jesus' teaching and his healing. And particularly, they exclaim with amazement that Jesus is one who teaches with authority. I'm sure that that word authority uh, conjures up all sorts of feels in you. I know it does in me. Uh, Maybe you're the type of person where you're naturally drawn to authority. You like the clarity it provides of naming what's inbounds and out of bounds or what it looks like to live a meaningful and beautiful life. Or you could be the complete opposite. And your whole life, you have been seeking to avoid or resist authority because you are going to wander into your own way and you don't need any external voices or powers telling you what that way will be. And maybe even you have experienced abuse from those in authority where a power outside of yourself diminished your identity or robbed you of your agency. And so that word is triggering to you. Regardless of where we are on that spectrum of amazed by authority or anti-authority, poll after poll of our cultural moment right now reveals that wherever we are on that spectrum, almost all of us are really wondering what authorities we can trust. Can we trust the authority and power of 
local, state, national government? Can we trust the large institutions and our sources of news and information? Can we trust supposed experts in their field? Can we trust, after all of the revelations of abuse and maybe our own personal trauma, the authority of the church? I want us to spend a few moments maybe even wrestling through some of our discomfort with this word. Because I, I do think that there's this beautiful elucidation that happens when we allow God to speak a fresh word and a word that maybe is old and tired. Uh, New Testament scholar Joel Marcus defines this word authority within its context as the ability to perform an action without anything to hinder that action. The ability to perform an action without there being anything to hinder the performance of that action. Again, interpreting it within the context of Mark's gospel. And so we can hear Jesus in this moment with this redefinition of authority. We can hear and witness Jesus teaching with such authority that he is unhindered by the expectations of the moment. Later, as Jesus goes to Jerusalem, we will see he is not afraid to speak truth to power even the almighty power of the empire of Rome. Likewise, Jesus is not hindered by the power of the most far-fetched evil that is beyond even our imagining. Jesus has authority. And Joel Marcus goes on to say that uh, in the literature of that time, that indeed this word authority was often used as a word of anticipation for the day when God would return on earth and decisively bring about peace and justice across all of the earth. It's a word that the uh, apostles use later to describe Jesus he, uh, calming the seas with authority. And the seas were often understood in the Holy Scriptures as this interpretation of chaos or things that disorder us from life. And so then, if this is how we are to imagine authority, it allows us to see this passage a little differently. That in this moment where Jesus is teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum, he is not seeking to undo or cast aside those teachings of his faith. Not trying to undermine the teaching of those religious leaders in that local community. Indeed, I would say that some of the greatest hurts of Christian history have been caused when we divorce Jesus from his Jewish faith and we dismiss Judaism as just an old teaching. This newness that the, the crowds are recognizing in Jesus' teaching, it's the fulfillment of a promise that Israel's prophets have lifted up. Remember Isaiah saying in Advent, we heard him say, God is doing a new thing. Can you not see it? And so in this moment, the crowds are saying, hey, we're not just reading about it in a story. It's happening right here. God is sweeping us up in this love that brings about renewal and liberation and life with decisive authority. And the gospel in that for us today is that amidst all of our wondering what authority we can trust, Jesus is the authority that we can trust. 
with our whole lives without fear of condemnation. Because whenever Jesus uses his authority in the Gospels, it's always to empower and not overpower. It's always to break down barriers that divide us, not build them up. It's always to liberate and not dominate. Indeed, what Jesus makes black and white, this is the only thing that Jesus makes black and white on this orientation day, is that he will stop at nothing to use his authority in such a way that no thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. We'll see this across the course of the gospel, that Jesus will stop at nothing to use his authority to break down any barrier, clean and unclean, insider, outsider, sinner, righteous. He will break down every barrier by the power of his authority so that there should be nothing to separate us from loving each other if we respond in grace to his invitation. And the most like wonderful thing of all of this is that Jesus doesn't hoard his authority to himself. He releases it and he trusts it to his apostles. He trusts it to you. Later, just a few chapters in Mark's gospel, Jesus will send out his apostles into the Galilee region with the authority to heal. After his resurrection, we learn in the other gospels that he will send his apostles to the ends of the earth, to every nook and cranny of the known world with the authority to heal. Every time we celebrate a baptism, we claim that power that God is trusting to us. We name that God is empowering us with the freedom to resist evil, oppression, and injustice in whatever forms they present themselves. In fact, in many Christian traditions, after a child is baptized, they're anointed with oil, which is a sign of healing, to say your vocation is to be a healer in all of creation. In fact, it's almost as if whenever we celebrate a baptism, it's a group empowerment exercise where we're saying to each other and reminding each other, God has given us power and authority to be healers. And yet, I have to just say that in my own walk with God, in my own life, in humility, I have to share this, that I have found that my knee-jerk reaction is most often to resist the authority God is giving me to heal. It's a lot easier to blame those who have authority. Uh, I'm dating myself here, but one of my favorite songs in high school, John Mayer's Waiting on the World to Change. Anybody else? Love that song. Blaming those in authority and saying, until something's fixed, I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to care. I'm not going to be a participant. I find it, it's a lot easier to believe the lies that shame tell us. That we can't change. That we don't have the power to change the reality of our everyday life. And I really appreciate how the Lutheran pastor, Nadia Bowles Weber, she shares about her own experience of living with addiction and living for a pronounced season of her life with debilitating depression. And she names how going back to baptism really empowered her to walk in faith, even when all she could see is darkness. She, she names that baptism is as radical as exorcism and, and that in baptism we are clothed with the power of the one who demons fear. And so claim that power. 
Claim it within your own personal life. And, and y'all, I, I get it. Like that language of demons and exorcisms, that's pretty extreme. Uh, I've not yet been called into that moment of ministry yet. You never know. And yet I have experienced in my life and I've experienced so much in ministry how we find ourselves living under the power and dominion of something or someone that leads us to self-harm or to harm others. That could be that addiction that you keep making the resolution every year to change, but you just can't shake it. That could be a relationship that is really grounded in domination and abuse and you can't imagine a different life. It could just be that you're in such great financial debt that you don't have an imagination for what it means to be free from that debt and to live abundantly. And I want to name that wherever you are in that place, that the waters of our baptism are like an ever-constant spring of agency and renewal and empowerment. And even if you are not baptized, we sing it in our opening hymn that God's mercy and care is over all of God's creation. And so any stirring that you feel in your heart today to live differently is the work of God in your life. And that God is empowering you to live differently and to change your circumstances. To claim that power God has given you by taking that first step towards sobriety or asking for help and naming you need a community or a 12-step program. That maybe you are called to live in the humility of asking others to help you with the resources in this season. And to begin to dream what it looks like to live a life of financial freedom, free of debt. And including, but beyond our own personal and communal healing and liberation, God is calling us today to claim our authority to be healers in our city and in our world. The early Christians took this authority and they ran with it, y'all. <laughs> they might have been a minority group in a vast empire and in many cases, not very powerful people. But they took this authority that God gave them in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And they created the first hospitals and created the first networks of financial relief for the poor and formed homes and families for orphans because they believed that they were an empowered people. How might we dream in the same way in our city amidst all of the health and wealth and housing gaps? How, how might we partner with the good work God is already doing with Christians here in the city and people who are not of faith, but were aligned in this mission of healing and liberation? How might we share our resources and our space with our city to be a blessing to our neighbors? How might we just go with Jesus and receive whoever he calls us to receive? To experience the life of a stranger becoming a friend. Because here's the thing, when you follow Jesus, you don't get an ordinary onboarding. <laughs> uh, Jesus leads you right into the decisive action of God's grace. For truly, Jesus is trusting and empowering us as a community to heal the hell out of creation until all of heaven breaks loose in every nook and cranny of the earth. Amen.